Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. As predicted last week, no real surprise, country star Kenny Chesney announcing this morning that his entire 2021 summer stadium tour, which included uh, a May 8th concert date at former Miller Park, now American Family Field, ha- has been put off. Uh, dates will be announced later in the year, but this is the second year in a row that Chesney has canceled his his potential tour. And again, it, it's no surprise that this is happening. I, I do think, though, that this is going to be a, a real challenge. I mean, how many dominoes are going to fall? Because you know, we, we're we're hoping to get some sense of normalcy back, and we're hoping to be able to go to events during the end of the summer and the early fall. Summerfest is still on. State Fair is still on. But part of the problem that you're going to have is that a lot of these performers they they don't go out for just like one and done concerts. They go on they go on tours. That's the way that they end up making their money. And so the the tour is based on well, we're going to be in Detroit on Thursday night, and then we're going to be in Milwaukee on Saturday night, and then we're going to be in Chicago on. Sunday night. It's based on all the, these different tour moving from place to place. And the truth of the matter is, um, with all the different states having all sorts of different rules, it's really, I think, questionable to me how many of these big acts are going to go out on, on tour. And again, I, I, I hope it's the case. But in the Kenny, case of Kenny Chesney, it's not just that they canceled the first half of the dates, it's that they canceled the entire tour. On top of that, Kenny Chesney, from a performer's perspective, made a point that uh, Don Smiley made from Summerfest when we talked about this with him a, a few weeks ago. I mean, part of the problem is that for the, these big stadium acts, what happens is there, there's a certain there's a certain amount of money that they have to to make, and so the idea and I know some people would say, well, let's have let's have Summerfest, but let's limit the attendance to half what what it would be normal attendance be. Well, the the problem is if you do that, you don't generate enough revenue to to make the nut. You by that I mean you know you need if Kenny Chesney's going to come play the Summerfest Amphitheater or Guns and Roses or whoever I mean they they expect X amount of dollars I mean that that's the deal they're not going out on the road if if the deal is a million bucks they're not going out on the road for seven hundred and fifty or six hundred thousand so they they expect what their fee is well the problem is from a perspective of a concert promoter like a Summerfest just for example right they. they they base the decision on, gee, can we have this concert and can we afford to pay the act? They base it on their projections of, hey, we're going to be able to sell 20,000 tickets and we're going to be able to have a, a packed amphitheater. And the idea of, well, you only can you know have 50% capacity for the sake of argument, they can't make enough money to hire the act. If the acts can't get the revenue they need, well, they can't afford to go out. You know, Kenny Chesney, in his statement, he says, look, here, here's part of the problem. He said, you know, even if we we went out, we were looking at um, cutbacks in the audience. And he says, if we can only do two-thirds of the audience, who decides who doesn't get to come to the show we've all been waiting for? He says, um, if we have to have social distancing, how far apart will you be? And of course, the other thing that he doesn't mention is if, if we've only got two-thirds of the audience, do I want to perform for two-thirds of my fee? And you know, given all the costs that are involved in staging one of these big shows, does it make it worth it? Bottom line is, I, I think 
and I'm not wishing for this, but I think the, the 2021 entertainment season, the summer entertainment season and the summer concert season, I think, I think it's going to be tough. And you've already seen that in Wisconsin with, at least locally, with all the different ethnic festivals that have been put off. And I guess that the next question is going to be EAA says that they're, they're going to go ahead with some limitations. Next big question is, can State Fair make it work? Can Irish Fest make it work? And, of course, can Summerfest make it work in early September? I am very, very hopeful that this is going to happen. I'm just a little bit skeptical. And at least around here, the Kenny Chesney concert is one of the first shoes to drop. All right. Donald Trump was right. Now, I I understand that some of you might be screaming at the radio. Now, what do you mean Donald Trump was right? Don't you know that Donald Trump, you know, as he, he wasn't right about anything? Well, there is one thing that you cannot argue about. Donald Trump was right moving forward. And that is, you will recall, like during the, the campaign last year, Trump predicted, he said, you know, newspapers, television, all forms of media are going to tank if I'm not there, because without me, their ratings are going to go down the tubes. That, that's what Trump said. And you know what? Turns out he is exactly right. Looking at a story in the Washington Post, two months into the post-Trump era, you know what's happening? News outlets are indeed losing much of their audience and the readership they gained during his presidency. Um, they're, they're talking about what they used to call the Trump bump. Now it's the Trump slump. Um, the Washington Post saw the number of unique visitors fall 26% on their website from January to February. New York Times lost 17% compared with January, 16% over last February. The story is largely the same for cable and broadcast news. Audiences grew big during the spring and summer, partly due to the pandemic and, of course, partly due to the election. First couple weeks of 2021, when you had the insurrection at the Capitol, the numbers were up. And since then, they've been plunging. Uh, CNN, for example, has lost 45 percent of its primetime audience in the past five weeks. 45% of its primetime audience. MSNBC's audience has dropped 26% during the same period. Um, Fox has fallen 6% since the first weeks of, of the year. So everybody's going down, but Fox is going down a lot less than a number of the other places are. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think the Trump slump is is real. I think, to borrow the phrase from Richard Nixon in 1962, you know, the media not having Trump to kick around, at least on a daily basis anymore, has dramatically affected viewership. I also think people are somewhat burned out on on the whole thing between COVID and between politics. I think we're in a moment where people are just kind of taking a, a deep breath. Are you less interested in the news? Are you less interested in running home and watching Fox or CNN or MSNBC or going and clicking on the New York Times or the Washington Post and trying to keep track? Is this 
Is this how you're playing out? Because the numbers demonstrate on this one thing, Trump was right, um, and that once he's gone, the numbers are going to tank. I think you're seeing a very, very real Trump slump, and I don't think it's going to be coming back anytime soon. 855-616-1620. Are you as riveted by the news now as, say, you were four or five months ago? We discuss. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. Now, in fairness, I, I think this is just a follow-up on something we talked about last week, looking at the, the local news stations in Milwaukee, for example, from February to February. Uh, Channel 12 w- was able to maintain their lead across the major time slots, but but they didn't add anything to their audience. They just held steady. All the other news stations dropped. Some dropped like a rock. So the, the audience decreased. So in this case, you, you won by, by staying even. That's the kind of the same thing with Fox News right now. They, they, they've they won or they're winning, but because they've lost 6% of their audience and CNN's lost 45% and MSNBC's lost 20-some percent. I think there's really two things going on. First of all, I think there's COVID fatigue. I think people kind of had enough of it and they're tuning out. And secondly, I, I think that the you're, you're in the Trump slump. Um, love him, hate him. He was a magnet. People would tune in to see what's going on. Um, I, I have one of the texters said, Jeff, I think it's the same as the Roman Empire. U.S. citizens are only interested in bread and circuses, and Trump was the biggest circus ever. 855-616-1620. Let's talk to uh, Dean in Waterford. John WTMJ, good afternoon. Hey, Sorry, Jeff, thanks Don. for taking the call. Hi, Don. What do you yeah. think? You know, it's really interesting because uh, 2020 was probably one of the years where I've watched the most amount of uh, news and media, mostly Fox. Then I, towards the end of the year, I tapered Fox off, went to Newsmax. And then every now and then when I wanted to get frustrated to see what the left was saying, I'd tune in to CNN. And um, this year, though, I, I feel so out of touch with politics and media I'm actually living a little bit better of a life, to be honest with you. I'm not consumed into all that anymore. Well, no, and I think, I mean, I think, some of that is a little bit healthy. I mean, I remember during the, the beginning of the COVID stuff, I mean, you, you had people that just, they, they weren't sleeping. They, they just, they, they would be ratcheted up with the COVID stuff 24-7. There was no end in sight. And lots of people just got depressed. I, I used to say to my wife, turn on the Hallmark Channel, for goodness sakes, you know, just, just to give yourself some relief from that. And, and you would, I would never have thought that I would have said that. But I, but I did. But I, I do think that there's people who are just burned out on all this stuff. Well, another thing too, Jeff. I mean, if you look at the uh, the NFL situation since we're on TV, thought I've got so much more free time, you know, on Sundays and Sunday afternoons from quite yeah. frankly just put the remote control down. Really? Yeah. No. No. Thank. No. And I think a lot of people are doing that, or they're finding other alternatives that were there. And I think there was every, and and you you always have this happen to an extent after election cycles. Trust me, I've been doing this long enough that I I know that there's this intense interest in in news after like big events or presidential elections or things like that, especially hotly contested presidential elections and then all the aftermath of this. And then there's this natural kind of pullback. I think what you're seeing is more extreme this time. I mean, CNN's numbers down 45%. And that's and and that's because they they don't have Donald Trump to kick around on a nightly basis anymore. Now I understand they they still you could figure out ways to run stories. Well, they're they're investigating Trump about this or that or the other thing, but it's not that nightly stuff anymore that feeds that that audience. And the, the editor of the New York Times he was very upfront that that 
the Trump administration was just a godsend to their business because the New York Times in particular established itself as being the anti-Trump paper of record. And you would read conservatively, conservatively, nine out of 10 articles about President Trump were, were written in a negative fashion. But they they did that because it appeased, that's what their audience wanted, that the people who subscribed to the New York Times or had the digital stuff, they wanted to read only bad stuff about Donald Trump. So the New York Times, kind of in my opinion, kicked journalism to the curb and decided, here, we're, we're going to give our audience what they want. That That's that's fine if you want to do that. But let's be honest, it's, it's not journalism if you're doing that. Let's talk to Mike in Illinois. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello, Jeff. How are you? I'm well, thank you. What do you think? Yeah, I think you're spot on. I mean, I think it's really so many people tuned in, you know, the people with Trump derangement syndrome to see him bashed. And now that, you know, they can't do that, even though they're trying to find something they can use against them. Uh, they just don't have as much uh, material and people are tuning out. Right. Right. Yeah, I think it, it's 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 just that simple. No, thanks for calling. You're right. You you had the Trump haters that were out there and they couldn't get enough of it. And I'm I'm not if you're a Trump hater, that's okay. I'm not criticizing that. You get to make that choice and the the news networks kind of set themselves up at that, particularly like CNN and um and again MSNBC and the New York Times and to an extent the Washington Post, they set themselves up as that. We're going to feed this hatred of Donald Trump. And and that's 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 great. That's that's what they ended up doing, but now Trump is gone. Jeff, my wife and I watch about 10% of what we used to watch. As soon as we see the third COVID shot going into someone's arm, we turn the channel. We really don't need to see people getting their shot. Um, Jeff, I still watch CNN. I watch five minutes um, of news um, um, on OAN. People can't believe Trump lost, you know, same thing over and over again. Jeff, I'm a major news consumer, both cable news and newspapers. However, I am absolutely fed up with reading and watching the news because of the 24-7 COVID coverage. I understand there's a pandemic going on, but come on, give me some other stories, please. I do think that that's a, a fair situation. Jeff, I don't watch the news anymore because it's nothing but COVID and social justice stuff and uh, just all around dismal. There, there, There is an element to that. And I think that one of the things, if you look at, again, the fact that like ratings for the local news shows are, are down as a, or le- are flat, or in most cases they're down, I, I think it is this COVID fatigue that, that's sitting in. At this point in time, people, again, how, how many stories can you have where they're, they're watching somebody get their COVID vaccine? And I'm not against getting the COVID vaccine. I'm getting mine on Wednesday. But at the same time, it's kind of like, okay, e- enough is enough. You need to figure out ways to move the story along. And candidly, that's not happening anymore. So in any event, Donald Trump, you, you can argue about the success or the failures of his presidency. You can argue about the things that he got wrong, like Mexico didn't end up building the wall. But when he predicted that when he was gone, news ratings would tank, he nailed that on the head. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. This is the final week of the Jeff Wagner Spring Home Improvement Showcase for 2021. We've been going on for, I think, nine weeks now. And thanks to all our sponsors and, of course, our presenting sponsor, Great Midwest Bank. This week, 
Our sponsor, last but certainly not least, are my friends at Miller Mobility. For in and around home safety solutions, get in touch with Miller Mobility today, 262-549-4900, or check them out at millermobility.com. Say hi to Val. All right, I, I learned something last night. See, it's, it's just my goal is to learn something new every day. And we have, ta- from time to time, we've talked about the way the way we consume entertainment and stuff has changed. And for years and years, Blockbuster Video used to be just a license to print money. I think many of us can remember those Saturday nights people or Friday nights whenever the new movies would come, people would flock to Blockbuster Video. And now I don't think there's any Blockbuster Videos anymore. There was one in Bend, Oregon. I think was the last one, and it closed. Well, anyhow, there's a new documentary that dropped on Netflix just over the weekend, it's called The Last Blockbuster, and I, I started watching it last night and fell asleep halfway through it. So I, I've only gotten halfway through the blockbuster, the, the, but it's it's fascinating because I learned something new. Gru, do you know why Blockbuster was able to run all the mom and pop businesses out of all the mom and pop video stores out of business? Uh, it was because of the licensing, basically. <laughs> well, right, revenue sharing. So, so here's the deal: back. Back when studios first started putting the movies out there, what happened is they they would charge they would charge like a hundred dollars if you wanted the Terminator, and so like the small mom and pop stores would go out and they 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 they'd buy like three copies of the Terminator at you know at at, at whatever at a hundred dollars a piece, but they didn't have enough money. If it's a hundred bucks a piece, there was only you know so many you could have. So there was only they'd only have like three copies. What Blockbuster did is Blockbuster understood that the key to like market domination was revenue sharing. So what they did is they went to the studios and they said, look, here, here's the deal. We don't want to buy the Terminator for a hundred bucks. You sell us the Terminator for five bucks. And the studio said, well, why would we sell you the Terminator for five bucks? And they said, well, because we'll share the revenue. You give us, you give us 50 copies of the Terminator or 20 copies per store of the Terminator. And, and yeah, we'll pay you five bucks, but we'll also give you a piece of the action. So whenever somebody comes in and rents it, we're, we're going to pay you a percentage of it. The studios jumped on that and that changed the whole business model because then Blockbuster, well, Blockbuster was able to have 20 copies of the hot movie and the local mom and pop video store was only able to get two or three because they had to buy, pay for the whole thing. And sooner or later, Blockbuster just became like Pac-Man and gobbled up all these different stores. It, it was revenue sharing that really gave them their place in the market, and that it lasted for as long as it lasted. Till um, ultimately, of course, you know, consumer taste changed. But it was really fascinating. If you wonder how Blockbuster just took over everything, it was the deal they were. They had the foresight and the wherewithal to cut this deal with the movie studios that allowed them to get forty copies of a hot movie where everybody else would only have three. It's kind of fascinating. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. A year ago, the pandemic was taking hold. Millions were laid off. The stock market plunged. Investor confidence was low. As we recover, what will you do differently with your plan and your investments? Join Dave Spano from Annex Wealth Management on Wednesday, March 31st at 6 p.m. for a special webinar, Investing in a Post-COVID World, with our very own Steve Scafidi. This free webinar is open to all fans who are interested in what's next in the markets and investing. To find out more, please visit the features page at WTMJ.com and sign up today. 
I stand corrected. Right, I was talking about the uh, last blockbuster, the the video, the show that just dropped on Netflix, and I said that had closed because the, the documentary focused on 2017. Actually, I was wrong. All the other blockbusters in the world have closed, but that one in Bend, Oregon, is still open. It is the only blockbuster left in the world, but if you happen to be in Bend, Oregon, and you want to stop off and, and see it, they're they're still there. I'm also told that you can like order blockbuster swag and stuff from them if you want one of those like blue blockbuster shirts or something. You know, hey, grill. You know, you got you got an anniversary or birthday coming up. Maybe that's we'll get you that blockbuster shirt or something there. Um, so, and it's it's an interesting thing. Like I said, I'm going to watch the other. I fell asleep last night during in the middle of it, but that's not to say it wasn't a very interesting thing. Okay, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 Over the weekend, I sent out a, a, a note with a link to the story that appears in the Washington Post. Now, I, I'm sorry, the idea of taking thousands of people who've come across the border illegally, putting them on airplanes, and flying them to Montana, North Dakota, and the Upper Peninsula of Michigan – seems to me to be one of the dumbest ideas that I have ever heard. And yet that is precisely what the Biden administration is continuing to do. Now, yesterday on on the, the talking head shows, the secretary, the Homeland Security Secretary, Alejandro Mayorkas, he was making the rounds and his line was, there's nothing to see here. The border is closed. And, and I, I'm watching this. And all I could think of was the movie Animal House. And if you remember the end of the movie Animal House, there's like a a riot in in the town. And there's the Kevin Bacon character who's like a young ROTC guy. And it's one of his very first movies. It's not his first movie. And he's standing up going, nothing to see. All is calm. All is calm. And he kind of gets like run over by the crowd. That's what that's what these appearances from the Homeland Security Secretary yesterday saying the, the border is closed reminded me of because it's clearly not closed. The border is being overwhelmed with people who are pouring into this country because they believe, number one, that Joe Biden is going to treat them differently than Donald Trump would. Number two, they know that Biden and the Democrats are pushing for essentially a form of amnesty. And the idea is, I think, for a lot of people, if you can get into the country, you know, you if you are here, once they start rolling out the amnesty plans, that you will be allowed to stay. And it's an absolute mess. Even, you know, if you look at media circles that are friendly to the Biden administration, I had Good Morning America on this morning, that, you know, they're, they're down there with these custom agents, and the custom agents are saying, we, we've got... We have unprecedented numbers of people pouring across the, the border. We've got families. We's got children. It's it just people are pouring across because the floodgates have, have opened up. And, and yes, it's because of Joe Biden. And they believe the people that are coming in here believe that he's going to have a different approach to this than Donald Trump. So that's viewed as as being a green light. And that's just the reality. And so for the Homeland Security Secretary to say the border is closed is almost to insult people's intelligence. So, OK, so what what do you do? Well, here's the story in the walls in the Washington Post from Saturday. A new spike in the number of families and children crossing the Rio Grande into South Texas over the past several hours. 
is forcing U.S. Customs and Border Protection to request airplanes that will allow the Biden administration to transport migrants to states near the Canadian border for processing, according to two Department of Homeland Security officials and an email reviewed by the Washington Post. Border officials requested the air support from U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement because 1,000 members of families and unaccompanied minors crossed the Rio Grande on Friday morning. A thousand people on Friday morning alone, and border agents have another 1,000 migrants they have been unable to process since last night, the communications show. The extraordinary volume of unauthorized border crossings in recent days has left the families and minors waiting at for hours outdoors, many under a bridge near a, a river. Um, the backups have been exacerbated by more than 4,500 unaccompanied teenagers and children held in detention uh, cells and border tent sites, a record number. So the idea is, let's put people on planes. Let's fly them to Montana. Let's fly them to North Dakota. Let's fly them to the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. And let's process them and then turn them loose in those communities. Okay, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. First of all, my question would be, what's wrong with, or if you're going to use planes, what's wrong with putting people on planes who have entered this country illegally and flying them back to the countries they came from? I mean, th- that would be it. But you're, you're really going to take people with no connection at all to Montana or North Dakota or the Upper Peninsula of Michigan or, you know, any of these other countries, these other states that border the Canadian, border Canada, you're going to fly them into these communities and then what's, what's going to happen? You're going to disperse them knowing absolutely nobody. You're going to disperse them in, into these, into these communities. I mean, really, at least, at least along the border, you've got I mean, some commonality of interest. And by the way, if you get, if you decide that you're going to, I know, send people back to, to Mexico or to Central America or whatever, you're at least closer to where you can do it. Once you locate people all the way across the country and start putting people into communities, you know, again, along the Canadian border, you pretty much guarantee that you're not going to be able to ever get them out. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The other idea that they're floating around is, hey, we're going to start taking taxpayer dollars and renting hotel rooms for people. All right, well, I, I, I've got lots to say about that, but that at least makes more sense to me than putting people on airplanes and flying them to the Upper Peninsula. 855-616-1620, we discuss. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, in, in remote areas, where are these migrants going to get food, shelter, water, jobs? Yeah, exactly. Jeff, Biden opened his mouth about being a nice guy. Now he's made his bed um, as these immigrants come in, believing that he's not going to send them back. Jeff, this is ridiculous already. Um, but them on a pl- put them on a plane and send them back to where they came from. 
Uh, Jeff, President Biden might as well give everybody a $1,400 stimulus check. Um, well, that's kind of the issue that's there. Jeff, people from the UP look at people from Wisconsin sideways already. Uh, imagine planes full of people from Central America getting dropped off there. Um, well, yes. Um, Jeff, why can't we start assigning the families coming into our country to live in the homes of some of the politicians that think that this is such a good idea? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Well, well, yeah, I, I think... What you have here is you have the border not being closed. You have a situation where because of the difference between Biden and Trump, now everybody thinks, hey, this is going to be an open border situation. You can just pour in. And you have at least some people in Washington who think that that's precisely the idea. Let's take anybody in. Now, can you actually do that? But putting people on a plane and flying them to Montana? Give me a break. Okay, let's start with Thomas in New Berlin. Thomas, good afternoon. Hi. Hi. Um, Yeah, I have to say that if you're a Christian, Christ said, do unto others as they have them do unto you. These are people that are fighting for their children, innocent young children, as as young as one, five, whatever the children. And they are facing um, high crime and poverty and hunger, and the majority of this country states that they're Christian. Being a Christian is more than just going to church and giving okay, money. Okay, so, so let me just so your so your your answer no 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 right. so your answer your answer is so just to open the borders and let your answer is to open up the borders and let thousands of people in on a daily basis, and if that means well, hundreds you, you of need, thousands, we need we need some control. The people that call themselves Christians. And then they say they can't live here. Well, everybody that lives here is from a different country, even American Indians. Okay, so so your answer is the, open uh, borders. Is it, so your answer is open borders. You don't think we should be turning okay. anybody away? I, I'm not. I don't have a problem right now. Well, they are they are shutting the border down. That's not true. And you said they're not. We already have people that are here. I have no problem employing people in North Dakota, South Dakota, Texas, paying for it. Okay, so if you've got a thousand, if you've got one or two thousand, like the, the story in the Washington Post, Friday morning, we're the richest the, the, country in the world. Okay, so you're so why don't you just admit then that your idea is I want to open up the borders. Anybody that wants to come in can stay here, and if it's not, you're no, not a Christian. Not, well, you, well, you're talking about people flying to North Dakota and South Dakota, and okay. I'm all for that. Let them find jobs. They can go somewhere else in the country once they get here. I'm all for it. No, this, this idea so you're going to let them stay legal. Late, late so wait, people. so you have people who've come in illegally. You're going to fly them to Montana and or North Dakota or South Dakota or I guess South Dakota is not on the Canadian border or the Upper Peninsula. And your idea is just to let them stay there. We're, we're not going to send them back. We're going to let them find jobs and live yeah. here. Okay. Yeah. Thanks for the call. Yeah. All right. Well, that, that that is that is the attitude that is out there. It's okay. You're not Christian. If if we control the borders and we don't let people come in, we're we're these evil people. Well, I, that, that's that's really nice, and it's a great a naive argument. You you look at what's going on, for example, around the border, where you have social services that are just absolutely overwhelmed. I will tell you this: I don't know that there's any major country in the world that that 
has an open borders policy that just says we're, we're just going to let anybody from anywhere come o- come in and then we're going to figure out how we're going to provide them social services and we're going to figure out how to get them jobs and we're going to figure out you know where they're going to live etc cetera, etc cetera. i don't know that there's any country industrialized country in the world that allows just open borders that are there but i, I get it that that's the idea here we have to figure out a way to pay for it and if we've got Thousands of people coming in on a daily basis. Fine, bring bring them in. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, Jeff, I'm cynical. I'm not sure the last caller was that Christian using that argument. Jeff, every other country controls its borders. Well, of course, of of course you do that. Um, you know, every country controls its borders. Um, Jeff, um, I absolutely cannot go to Canada right now if I wanted to. Um, <laughs> um, in the world that you just talked about, you know, no civilized country ha- has open borders. Well, of, of course, that that's the si- situation and the scenario that's there. Okay, let's talk to Gianni in Montello. Hi, Gianni. Uh, hello. Good afternoon, Jeff. Hey, hey listen. Um, I, I think uh, you said that it's it's Biden's problem, and and you're you're largely uh, correct. But there is something going on apparently south of the border in Mexico and Central America that would cause so many people to come to the United States. And I argue that there is no reason that that Mexico and Central America and South America should not be as prosperous as the United States. They have land, they have mineral resources, they have wonderful soils, they have beaches, and they have a wonderful climate. I may end up in Mexico someday. But there's something going on there, nefarious, whether it's economic or political or social, that would cause so many people to want to come to the United States and leave their country. It's highly abnormal and atypical. Well, I mean, Gianni, well, I mean, I think, what, no, I mean, thanks, so, no, I mean, thanks, so, well, I mean, I think what, what's going on is you have some, some of the countries, particularly in Central America, let's leave uh, Mexico out of it for a moment. You have a number of countries that there's high degrees of poverty. You've got totalitarian governments. You've got structures of governments that are just a complete mess. And I understand people wanting to find a better life for themselves, but, the truth of the matter, and do I think the U.S. is the greatest country in the world? Absolutely. Do I think that we are a country founded on Im- by immigrants? Absolutely. But there is legal immigration and there is illegal immigration, and I just don't think any civilized, any any industrialized country can simply get to the point where you say, all right, we're going to just take everybody in. You know, come in at a rate of a 1,000 every morning, and then we're going to figure out how to do it. Already you have these border communities that are just absolutely, completely, totally overwhelmed, and it's not getting any better. And again, the Homeland Security Director says, well, the border is closed. Well, that's going to be news to all the reporters that are down there. Interestingly enough, the Biden administration isn't allowing um, any news media to go in and, and look at some of the places where they're, they're holding the kids. Remember the, the whole uh, kids in cages things during the Trump administration and all the outrage? Well, now Biden is apparently doing the same thing. You've got, look, I, I think that for people who have been in this country for a while, I am not opposed to some form of legal residency. I have issues with citizenship, but that's aside. But you can't do that 
unless you are going to get control of the border. And the Biden administration has lost control of the border. And the idea, gee, we've got so many people that are coming in illegally that we can't process them here so we're going to put them on planes and fly them across the country and put them in the upper peninsula maybe the better answer is to do what trump said he was doing what trump did which is say we're not going to let you come into the country you're going to have if you're going to make this decision that you're going to try to come into this country boom you're going to have to wait until you have to wait in mexico or you're going to have to wait somewhere else until you file the paperwork until you get approved yes People say to me, "Okay, well, what would be your solution? My solution would be to do what Trump was doing and not just create this open door policy, because when you create the open door policy, you see exactly what's happened. And then you get just staggeringly stupid ideas like let's take planes and fly people to Fargo, North Dakota and dump them off there. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. On the one hand, it is interesting to me to watch the left eat its own. On the other hand, I keep thinking there's got to be a limit to how far the cancel culture can go. And in my opinion... This is one of those examples, and it should be a scary cautionary tale to everybody out there, particularly if you have kids. Here's the story um, I'm talking about. Her name is Alexi McCammond, and, and here here's the deal. Alexi McCammond is 27 years old. You, you may have, have seen her on some of the different shows that are there. She's a very, very accomplished black journalist 27 years old um she she started out she was a political reporter she covered uh, president biden's campaign for axios you know which is one of those the cable stuff she was a contributor to msnbc and nbc in 2019 she was named the emerging journalist of the year by the national association of of black journalists so this is this is a rising star and again she she's she's on msnbc she's on axios It's not my side of the aisle, but she's a a rising star. So what happens is she gets hired to be the editor of a magazine called Teen Vogue. Vogue, of course, is the the big, very popular fashion magazine. Perhaps you're familiar with that. And Teen Vogue is the it's Vogue, but it's it's geared for teenagers and stuff, you know. So it's and it's a very, very successful thing. She she was named. As the the editor, she would have been the third black woman to serve as a Teen Vogue top editor. Okay, so they they name her to the position, hey, and everything is is great. This is you know this this up and coming black journalist. She's got all these different credentials. Um, she this is just going to be perfect. Well, it, it's not perfect because what happens is, back when she was seventeen years old. Now now she's twenty seven. But she, back when she was 17 years old, she had taken to social media and she had issued a couple posts. For example, um, one of her posts, now this is, she's in high school, right? One of her posts groaned about her, quote, stupid Asian TA, teaching assistants teaching assistant okay um and then apparently she issued uh, another post that mocked 
Asians, quote unquote, swollen eyes. I, I'm, I'm looking at it. And so so these are she's 17 years old. She's in high school. She puts a couple of those posts out there. All right. Now, again, she's she's gone on. She's gone to college. She's, she's built this career as a very, very you know effective and well thought of journalist. These tweets surface a couple years ago in 2019, and she issues an apology for them. I mean, she comes out and she says, look, I'm, I, you know, I, I was wrong. I was stupid. I was 17 years old. I apologize for this. This is 2019. So this is two years ago. So it's not even like it's a secret. So the, the Teen Vogue announces that they've hired her as their, their top editor. And interestingly, what happens then is more than 20 staff members at Teen Vogue Right, they 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 find out, and again, it wasn't a secret. It it had come out when she was like a political reporter that ten years ago, when she was seventeen years old in high school, she she posted a couple of these these stupid posts, racist posts, whatever you want to call them. But she did this ten years ago when she was seventeen, and she'd apologized for it. So it's not like this was hidden. Well, a handful, well, actually twenty of the staff members at Teen Vogue find out, hey, you know, she, she's posted this, and she's apologized for it. But then they go public, and they say they've made a complaint to company leaders about the tweet, about the tweets, at which point in time, Miss, you know, Ms. McCammon, the, the 27-year-old, she says, look, I, I, I've... I apologize for these when this first came out a couple years ago. I again apologize for it. I was I was young. I was stupid. I did this when I was seventeen. I'm really sorry. It doesn't reflect the way I think about stuff. You know, ten years later. Well, um, ultimately, they forced her out. They forced her out. Now it gets interesting because apparently, one of the senior staff members at Teen Vogue who was calling for this woman to be ousted. Well, apparently, 10 years ago herself, she, this time in 20, uh, 2009, she apparently wrote, sent out tweets of her own where she was using the N-word. <laughs> you know, so so th- this, this is, again, it, it's now, now they're starting to look around. And, and interestingly, apparently, the, the current staff members who were upset that they hired this woman and she had 10 years ago the anti-Asian comments, apparently they're, they're not as bothered that one of their co-workers had done this. But it, it's now opening up the stuff for a free-for-all, looking at, at stuff that these people posted, again, when they, they were kids, when they were in high school. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, again, this this isn't my my side of the aisle. Um, she's... A, a very uh, she's a liberal journalist i don't read teen vogue i don't care about teen vogue one way or the other but i am looking at this and saying okay this is a young woman who put put some stupid postings back up when she's in high school all right now 10 years later she's accomplished all this different stuff she's advancing on her career and now she has effectively been canceled based on some stupid stuff that she posted and if you want to say it's racist stuff sure that, that's fine but stuff that she did when she was 17 and I, I guess there's a piece in the Atlantic that kind of caught my attention, and it says, America has forgotten how to forgive. All right, the lady, she did it when she was 17. She acknowledged publicly that she was wrong. She has apologized for this. Do you, do you, does she wear the scarlet A for the rest of, of her life? I mean, can we, 
say, okay, this was something that, you know, stupid that he did as a teenager. And I guess my question is, I mean, look, I was a teenager before you had the Internet age and things like that. And there is a, a lesson that when you put stuff out there, no matter how stupid it might be, it's out there forever and it can come back to haunt you. But, all right, should this woman have lost her job because of something she posted 10 years ago? And again, this this is she's not she's not my side of the aisle. Uh, okay, but but really, at, at some point in time, don't we have to say that there's a statute of limitations on, on bad behavior and that, um, my, my gosh, you know, you can walk into Mayfair Mall at the age of 15, carry a gun and shoot people, and we're going to protect you in juvenile court. You send out a, a tweet and we say 10 years later you, you can't take a job that you're eminently qualified for. 855-616-1620. It just strikes me as wrong. It strikes me as dangerous. It strikes me as destructive, and it strikes me as creating this backlash because, I mean, don't you have to recognize that people change, and particularly when you do stuff and you're young, that, that, that we all get like kind of an asterisk maybe for doing some stupid things, and maybe you should get a pass for that? 855-616-1620 if you acknowledge it and if you move on. All right, we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, I, we're now seeing the cancel culture eat, eat its own. If you're just tuning in, why are we talking about Teen Vogue magazine? Well, there's a 27 year old woman, a black woman, very accomplished, very very successful political reporter, was just hired to be the editor at Teen Vogue. She's now been forced to resign because of a backlash. Um, a, a number of members of the staff found social media posts that she had put up 10 years ago when she was in high school that had derogatory references towards Asians. And so they have complained. Now, interestingly, at least one of the people who complained, they look at her uh, social media stuff from 10 years ago, and they're finding that she's got racist stuff out there. And, and I mean, where 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 do you end up drawing the line? And I'm not I'm not saying that, you know, she was right in posting this stuff 10 years ago, but Really, at some point in time, are we going to make people wear that scarlet A forever? And and my answer would be no. You, you you have to recognize that, you know, young people in particular do do stupid stuff from time to time. And some stupid post that you put up in high school shouldn't disqualify you 10 years later from being able to do a job, especially if you've acknowledged that it was a stupid and inappropriate uh, post and you've apologized for it. 855-616-1620. Um, Bob in Greendale. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Greenfield. Hey, Jeff, Hi, I agree with you. Uh, for I mean, for to be punished for something you said when you were in high school, and I mean, the kids that you're socialized with, you know, the the type of uh, interaction that's going on, you know. I mean, you remember Hadar had his... Um, right, Josh uh, Hader yeah, from the Brewers. Right, that's that's a great example. I mean, a couple of years ago, the, the the star reliever for the Brewers, they some stuff, some, some stupid Facebook postings or, or whatever, or instant messages or whatever it was, or stuff you put on Twitter, it, it comes out when he was like 15 or 16 or 17 years old. And, and, you know, he was booed mercilessly, at least in the beginning for that stuff. And you want to say, hey, he was a stupid kid, you know, and, you know, he apologizes. At some point in time, you got to move on, don't you? Yeah, and when you're at that age, you've had such a limited exposure. You're you're just in a very uh, 
small area of operation. Uh, you, you really haven't had a chance to. Uh, and you're not th- right. And it's lessons. Right. You're you're not th- you're right. You're 17 years old, and you don't have this. You know, it, it it's and back then, it, it's before people started becoming woke. And and I'm, I'm sure she thinks she's just interacting with a couple of her friends. And I'm not condoning what she said, but she's 17 years old. I I don't know about you, Bob, but I would not want to have a microscope held up to everything I may have said or done back when I was 17 years old. You know, I mean, I I, I don't I don't remember it now. Thankfully, back then they didn't have internet and you didn't have social media and so there, there wasn't this temptation to post every stupid thought you have now everybody does i agree i mean everybody has their behind uh, closed doors moments when they were younger or things that were said just to be part of the gang or group you know right. peer pressure and uh it's best. To, I mean, she did come out and say she was sorry. Yeah, I mean, and she acknowledged it. No, no, thanks to Cardo. She and she acknowledged it. I mean, back in in 2019, but she apologized. But that's that is now not enough. And I guess for I, one of the things again, I think that it's an interesting sidelight to the story that now they're starting to poke around in the social media accounts of all these other Teen Vogue staffers, and at least in one case, they're finding stuff. So now apparently, what's happening is all these staffers that wanted this woman fired, well, now they're they're shutting down and trying to scrub, you know, their past social media accounts, which tells me that this this probably wasn't necessarily some sort of isolated instance here jeff the teen vogue staff might have been upset that an outsider got the big job i i think there, there's clearly something like that going on here jeff this reminds me of when paula dean lost everything when she had something surface from 20 years ago we are all guilty of doing saying something stupid in our youth or past um completely ridiculous times that we live in and it, in this situation this isn't this girl was 17 this woman was 17 years old at at, at the time it's not even now i i rebel against the cancel culture to begin with but it's not even like you can say okay this is something that you did or said as as an adult at the age of 40 and now it's coming back to bite you in the butt at the age of 60 and she's 17 years old for you know goodness sake um let's see um jeff i would hope all people grow and change as they Mature, Jeff. Um, I think we are going to see the elimination of the apology. If somebody sincerely apologizes and still suffers cancellation, why apologize? And, and yes, I acknowledge that I'm I'm being cynical. Well, that that is kind of the question. I mean, if you if it's not enough to sit and say, "Hey, I, I was wrong. I apologize. I'm. This is something I did when I was a senior in high school or a junior in high school or whatever, and I'm really, really sorry about it. And if that's not good enough, well, you know, at, at what point in time do this? And you know, it, can she go back and work for MSNBC? Is is she allowed to work? Okay, so now, now Teen Vogue has decided that she can't be an editor. Well, you know, should any newspaper hire her? And and for people who are writing about that, I mean, are, do you live in a glass house? If if somebody comes forward and says, oh, when you know, X person, when you were seventeen. Do you remember what you said at that party, or do you remember what you did here or there? And again, you you have to reach a certain point where you go, when is enough enough? And how do we advance people's issues by just simply, I mean, canceling them and not giving them an opportunity? This this is a woman who, like I say, incredibly successful on so many different levels. Um, 
2019 Emerging Journalist of the Year by the National Association of Black Journalists. This, this, you know, we'd think if you're trying to find diversity and advance people and stuff like this, this woman is, is the perfect example of that, but she gets canceled. Go figure. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. She's just as nice in person as she sounds on the radio. So that's Miller Mobility. Check it out. I'm here to text Jeff. Chris Harrison, the host of The Bachelor, lost his job for doing exactly what you're saying, um, showing some grace towards those who tweeted questionable content in their youth. Yeah, that that you know, I I'm very proud of the fact that I've never I've never watched more than five minutes of The Bachelor. Never, <laughs> Melissa Barclay's I'm cringing because I, I have. Yeah, I, <laughs> never, but but right, Chris Harrison, who was the the host forever and ever, he's he's been canceled by The Bachelor. I mean, he was fired because one of the contestants on on the show it, it turned out that she had done some racist things or had some racist stuff or attended some parties you know like the antebellum parties and and that that came out and you know he went public and and kind of i, I don't think it's fair to say he defended her but you know he, he showed some i mean again the word of the texter some, some grace he said look i i just don't think we should punish people she's acknowledged what she did she said she's sorry i i think we should you know should essentially cut her a break and, and just even for saying that you know he was accused of downplaying the stuff that she did and and he ended up being forced out you really do wonder you know where where this all stops where it's not just okay we're going after the people that did the bad stuff but then we're going after the people who then say well look the person's apologized for this i i think we 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 need to give them a second chance. And again, I'm not I, I I'm not going to defend Chris Harrison one way or the other. And I don't watch The Bachelor, so that that's fine. But you do wonder where the, this cancel culture stops. And the answer is I don't know. Back for more. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Hey, Brewers fans. Our very own Greg Matzik has received a non-roster invite to spring training. Now, he won't be playing for the Brew Crew, of course, but join him for the ride. Um, he gets an all-access look inside Brewer's spring training. Join us all week long during all your favorite WTMJ shows. It's Greg Matzik's spring training trip all this week, sponsored by Trex, the number one name in outdoor living. All right. The NCAA basketball tournament for men and women is is, is going on. And as I said earlier, I, I'm, I didn't even bother to do a bracket this year because I really haven't been paying that much attention to college basketball just because of the, the pandemic and not being able to go to games and things like that. And just as well, because if I had done a bracket, it would have been completely and totally busted. But the, the interesting sub-story, besides all the upsets and things like that, is the, the, the question of... Uh, again, equal treatment of men and women. Now, you probably saw this story. Um, last week, the, the men's, the men's teams are all playing in Indiana. And the women's teams are all playing in, in Texas. I believe they're in San Antonio. And what happens is one of the women players from Oregon or Oregon State, she goes, they're, they're in San Antonio, and she goes and she shows the, the women's weight room. And I have that in quotation marks because it, it's pathetic. There, there's kind of like a couple yoga mats and there's uh, I, some some barbells. And it really does look like they, they went over to the local um I, I don't know, like the local residence in and, and like grabbed some of the athletic equipment and brought it over. I mean, it, it's pathetic. Uh, 
And then they show the men's weight room from Indianapolis, and it it's just, I mean, it, it's huge, and you've got all these different training facilities and stuff, and the, the, the texter makes the point, the woman who's texting this says, look, I mean, this is just, this is pathetic. You know, you want to talk about equal treatment. Well, look at what we have. We have like six barbells, and, you know, they have, you know, the, this state-of-the-art sort of workout thing, and that's that has inspired this conversation about, well, the, the phrase is spring sexism. I mean, this this is just it's just another example of how you know women are treated you know by the NCAA as second class citizens and and the like. And let me just say this at the beginning: there, there's no question that the, the way the NCAA outfitted the weight room for the women basketball players was absolutely pathetic. And and heads heads should roll. There's just no question about that. But this has raised this kind of larger issue that's out there, and it's a discussion that I I think we we have to have. Now, Title IX says that um, what happens is that, you know, women athletes, you know, in the NCAA have have to be treated, you know, equally. But I guess there's a question about, you know, what, what equal treatment, you know, means. Especially given the fact, and, and this is this uncomfortable reality for some people, that from the perspective of generating revenue, men's basketball generates a boatload of revenue for the school. That, that's maybe not at every college or university, but, but at most. Men's basketball is a revenue-generating thing. Women's basketball, for whatever reason, doesn't generate anywhere near the revenue. As a matter of fact, I think the NCAA said that, you know, staging the NCAA tournament for women, they lose money. It, it doesn't pay for itself, whereas that the men, just a huge revenue generator for the NCAA. So th- there's always this battle that's going on. On the one hand, you, you have women who understand this, saying, hey, we want equal opportunity. We, we want the same options that, that men have. But at the same time, there's a lot more sports that are available for men. And in the case of a lot of the member institutions, the, the revenue that is generated by, say, a football program or a men's basketball program, that money is used to subsidize all the, the other sports that they offer, not just the women's sports, but some of the, the you know, the, the, the wrestling tournaments or the track or, or whatever it is. So it's those sports like the basketball and football from men that are paying the freight. So given that, and even accepting the fact that that weight room was pathetic, who, who thought that that was going to be a good idea, right? Is it reasonable to expect that schools are going to spend the same amount of money on, say, their women's basketball program as they do on their men's basketball program. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And look, and I, I understand that you, you equal opportunity is an important thing, but the truth of the matter is equal opportunity is one thing. Equally spending resources is, is another, because the question becomes, you know, is it... Is it fair to follow the money? Is it fair to say, okay, well, if at Marquette University, it's the men's program that generates all this revenue, and we use that revenue to pay for all the other programs, men's and women that are out there, and we've got to recruit the the, the best 
talent we possibly can, and that means state-of-the-art facilities. That means we have to pump all this money into the men's program. This means that we have to hire these coaches. This means that we have to have the national recruiting thing. Is it is it unreasonable to do that? 855-616-1620. I mean, at some point in time, do you have to follow the money? My answer would be, yeah, there, there, there is a balance. Obviously, we shouldn't we should not treat these other sports and particularly women's sports. You shouldn't treat them like second class citizens. But this idea of, OK, it, we, we want equal stuff to me just doesn't make any sense. It's not practical because you, you do have to, to follow the money. And if you don't spend the money on, say, the men's program and, and making sure it's a winning program, well, you're going to have even less money to contribute to all the other other sports that aren't paying for themselves. 855-616-1620, which isn't to say that 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 weight room was just absolutely embarrassing. But now there's this whole push saying, okay, we we should like equal the the dollar spending. And I just don't think that's reasonable. 855-616-1620. It's kind of like saying, okay, well, the, the, the TV contracts, you've got the WNBA and you've got the NBA. Those contracts are not equal. The networks pay more money for the rights to run the NBA games than they do for the rights to run the WNBA games. Why? Because for whatever reason, at least at this point, more advertisers want to advertise on the NBA games and uh, more people watch the NBA games. 855-616-1620. Is that completely and totally unreasonable? We discuss. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. And don't get me wrong. I think this this is a legitimate issue. And, you know, whoever was responsible for outfitting the women's weight room in San Antonio for the women's basketball tournament and decided we're we're going to get a couple of yoga mats and we're going to get a couple of barbells that look like we borrowed them from the downtown Super 8. I mean, that person deserves, I mean, heads deserve to roll. But this is now this larger question that's here about, well, you know, the, the NCAA needs to treat everybody equally and we should be spending the same amount of money. And, and my point is I, I just don't see how that is practical moving forward given the fact given the fact that there are some sports, whether it's football or whether it's men's basketball, that are generating the revenue that pays for everything else. And if you decide, okay, well, we're going to spend the same amount of money on the men's basketball team that we do for the women's basketball team, well then all right, what, what what ends up happening there? Does that mean that there's no money left for the other sports? Jeff, I'm a former men's college D3 tennis player. We never had all the extras that the basketball and football team received, food, accommodations, etc. But being a realist, we knew that without the football and basketball teams, we wouldn't have had the opportunity to play at all. Not saying the women's gym at the tourney was okay. It was pathetic, and I agree with that. But you have to realize without the revenue being generated by these top-tier sports, the other sports wouldn't have the opportunity at all. Be fair, but be realistic. It's not always a, a sexist thing. Um, Jeff, same opportunity is the issue, not the amount of money. Equipment should be available for the individual athletes that is required for optimum training, health, and well-being. Don't need all the bells and whistles. But this was embarrassing and highlights a real issue. I have daughters. Well, I, I do think it highlights a, a real issue, and I, I guess... The, the the question is, yeah, the NCAA could have avoided this entire issue by 
not necessarily saying, hey, we're going to have all the same equipment, but recognizing that, you know, if, if we're going to develop a workout facility, we have to add more. So the, the criticism is legitimate, no question about it. It's just how far do you go? Jeff, with COVID, we are coming very close to eliminating non-revenue sports in college, both men's and women's programs. Jeff, being a woman, I agree that the weight room is a joke, but yes, you have to follow the money we do in everything else. Um, Jeff, I don't think it's necessarily spending the same amount of money, but treat all programs respectfully. And I don't disagree with that as well. All teams are part of the athletic program. I played tennis in college. We had a four-hour trip, and our coach pulled up in an ugly duckling rental station wagon for the six girls on the team plus our tennis rackets. We couldn't believe it. Made us mad that we would get this, but the boys' basketball team had free shoes from Converse. Well, um, yeah, I, I, and I understand that, but again, if in college, if the boys basketball team is, is generating the revenue that's used to, un, that's used to underwrite the costs of the, the van that the gals tennis team is taking, you, you got to understand that that's one of the things that are there. Jeff, get rid of college sports and make semi-pro leagues. These students should get paid. Uh, and they're not there to, they're not their job to fund other sports or line the wallets of others. Well, I mean, that's one of the issues the NCAA is dealing with right now, which is the whole question of do, do college athletes have to be paid? There's a, a case that the Supreme Court is going to be deciding in the relatively, I think, you know, probably sometime relatively soon that says, you know, what college athletes are entitled to. Jeff, women's sports produce a fraction of the revenue. Should WNBA players make the same as NBA players? I don't think so. I bet the accommodations for the pros are different as well. Now, they are. Now, the difference is, of course, that that's that's professional sports, and that's the the whole free market thing that's going on there. This is the NCAA, which says that it's a not-for-profit organization and is governed by like like Title IX for many of its member schools. So it, it's it's a finer line, and I, I think stories like this, I do think, you know, bring some attention to the fact that there, you know, women's sports are treated differently than men's sports, and that's all well and good. But some of the rhetoric saying this should be perfect equality across the board. Just don't see how that's practical, period. And this is Jeff Wagner. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. I, I had another posting over the weekend, and we have talked from time to time about senior senator from the state of Wisconsin, Ron Johnson. And he has become a, a lightning rod, of course, and there's a lot of reasons for it. Part of it is his own making. Part of it is the fact that he's one of two U.S. senators, if he chooses to run for re-election in 2022, who will be running as a Republican in a state that uh, Joe Biden carried. So he's got a target on his back. He's perceived as being extremely vulnerable. And, And candidly, he has, I think, invited some criticism by some of the things he said. So just over the weekend, I, I was keeping track of the different stories. Washington Post, story by Kathleen Parker. Ron Johnson is a racist. All right, so you've got that there. There was a big story in the New York Times. Assaulting the truth, Ron Johnson helps erode confidence in government. Washington Post, just let them keep talking. It's a story that says Ron Johnson is a racist. Just let him keep talking. The more he talks, the more he reveals himself. And then um, U.S. Uh, Senator Ron Johnson helps erode confidence, etc., etc. So New York Times is going after him. Washington Post is going after him. Apparently, there was a story in one of the local TV stations. I saw it on Channel 58. Maybe it was elsewhere as well. 
was giving a speech over the weekend to um, a Republican group and apparently said there was no violence on the Senate side of the U.S. Capitol on January 6th, which was the date of the insurrection. And the headline on Channel 58 is Ron Johnson falsely claims there was no violence on the Senate side of U.S. Capitol. Okay, I, so I sent out a tweet, and, and I believe this wholeheartedly. Here's what I wrote. If Senator Johnson were to ask me for one piece of political advice, just one piece, I would suggest... He just stopped talking about the events of January 6th, whether he's right or whether he's wrong about his conclusions or the things he's saying. He's in an absolutely no-win situation, and he gains nothing by continuing to rehash. I just, I would, my advice would be, Senator, just, just kind of let it go, and, and let's talk about stuff on the border. Let's talk about all these issues. Let's talk about the deficit. You know, let's talk about stimulus payments. Let's talk about all the other things that are there. But, you know, move on from January 6th. Just my advice. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Melissa, are you familiar with the term stimmy? Have you ever heard the term yes, stimmy? Yes, I have, yeah. You have heard the term <laughs> yes. stimmy. Mm-hmm. Rue is nodding his head. He has heard the term stimmy as well. Okay, for people who might not have heard the term "stimmy," what 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 is it? It's uh, your stimulus check. Right. It is your that is the that is the way that online it is referred to. Have, have you gotten your stimmy yet? All right. Okay. Good. So you you, pay, you this is look at the big brain on Melissa. This is like two or three of these like obscure questions in a row hey, that you've nailed. I'm All telling right. you. Okay. You're you are on a roll. We'll call you Butter. Okay. So <laughs> Butter Barkley. Butter. <laughs> oh, that's, I've never been called Butter before. Well, you know you're on a roll. I so am. no, it, I like it. It, it works out very very well. Okay. So in any event, so I. Why that that is the reference online? You know, if, if hey, have you gotten your stimmy yet? And the the latest rounds of stimmies went out. If you are a regular listener to the program, you know that th- this is this is an issue where my my head has been exploding in, in part because it, it's not that I'm this this evil heartless guy who objects to people who've been. Well, who've had problems due to COVID and, you know, are, are in danger of, I don't know, having their utilities turned off or something like that, getting a little bit of help or people who've lost their jobs. What irritates me about this is this kind of one size fits all thing that we did where we, we take everybody and we look at your adjustable gross income and, oh, you, you and your wife have less than $150,000, so we're going to send you the money. And it doesn't matter if, for example, the, the two of you work in, in government, just to, I don't mean to pick on government workers, but you're each making like $65,000 a year, your, your jobs are secure, you haven't been affected by COVID in any way, shape, or form, and here, we're going to take taxpayer money, or we're going to borrow money that, you know, ultimately your kids or grandkids are going to have to pay back, and, and we're going to send you this money under the guise of, you know, COVID relief, even though you haven't been impacted by, by COVID, or... And I know several people who fit in this category, people who are retired, who have a lot of retirement assets, who aren't hurting at all, but because their adjusted gross income was less than $150,000, even though they might have a couple million, and I mean million, sitting in retirement accounts, they're, they're, they're still getting, they're getting their stimmy. You know, they're, they're getting their $1,400. And it, it just, it's this huge government gift 
that is it designed, well-intended, to help the people who've been impacted by COVID, but at the same time, it's going to all sorts of people who don't need it and don't deserve it. Yeah, I said don't deserve it. Well, here's the thing that's got me, really, the big story in the New York Times, and I admit this makes my head want to explode. All right, Re- this is the headline. Recast as stimmies, federal relief checks drive a stock market buying spree. Um, the government set out to prop up the economy. It might also be propping up the market. So here, here is the deal. There is an estimate. Analysts at Deutsche Bank recently estimated that as much as $170 billion from the latest round of stimulus payments, that would be about $250 billion, could flow into the stock market. Now, I think that's a high estimate. But but nonetheless, they conducted a survey of retail traders in which respondents said they planned to put roughly 40% of any payment they received, or $2 out of every five, into the stock market. Traders between the ages of 25 and 34 said they expected to put half of their stimulus checks into stocks. So in other words, we are we are borrowing money that we do not have. We are sending it to people. And at least a percentage of those people are taking that money and they're turning around and they're investing in game stock or or whatever. The New York Times story quotes uh, Victoria Brown. For Victoria Brown, a 25-year-old um, in Wilmington, Delaware, with a secure job in government, the $1,400 stimulus check is more of an opportunity than a lifeline. She has already moved the money into her Robinhood account. That's one of the online trading things. She's already moved the money into her Robinhood account and plans to use some of it to buy the stock of Zoomedica, a pet health company she owns a 1,000 shares of. Ms. Brown said her approach to the stimulus was, how can we take this $1,400 or the $1,600 last year and do something to make more money with it? How can we take the stimulus money and do something to make more money with it? Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I, I, I understand... It's perhaps too late to ask this question, but this is a variation of the question that I've been asking all along. In what world can we justify taking, what, about $800 That's going to be the the total amount between what we sent out last year and what we're in the process of sending out. How can, in what world can you justify taking $800 billion and sending a portion of that to people who are going to use it to invest in the stock market. Now, don't get me wrong. I have nothing against investing in the stock market. I have all sorts of money that is invested in the stock market. And I guess indirectly, if people are getting the stimulus checks and they're pouring into the stock market and they're buying stocks, that, that, that helps all of us who have money in the stock market. But in what rational world should the government be sending money to people under the guise of COVID relief with the idea that they are going to be using that money to then play the market. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'm sorry, but this is nothing this is nothing but infuriating. And to me, again, it demonstrates how ill-conceived this whole stimulus plan was. Help the people who need help. 
No problem with that at all. But but figure out who those people are. We had a year to do it, and now what we're doing is sending some money to people who clearly need it, and hopefully they'll use it to pay their back utility bills or whatever. But we're sending money to all these people who have not been adversely affected by COVID. They still have their jobs. They've worked through the whole thing. And this is now a windfall that they're going to use to invest in the stock market. What's wrong with this picture? 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line we discuss in a minute. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. Jeff, I got two stimulus checks under Trump. I am not getting one under Biden. I'm fine with that because I wasn't financially impacted by COVID. Why do you ran on Biden's plan, who has narrowed the eligibility, but there were no complaints on how Trump distributed it to more higher income people? Au contraire. I, this has been my beef. You need to listen more because this has been my beef for the last year, ever since we rolled out the stimulus payments. The, the idea that people, whether you have a, f- a husband and a wife, you know, making 150000 or was it 170000 the limit under um, under Trump, the, the idea that we were sending stimulus payments to people without any concern for whether they were impacted by COVID or not. No, that that has been a subject of this program on a regular basis. The problem is people think there's this giant money tree that's out there and all you have to do is go out and shake it, and then the, this money falls from the falls from that tree. That is not the reality. We are going to be paying for this giveaway under the name of COVID relief that went to lots and lots of people who did not need it. And yes, if the standard was, hey, we need a relief because you need relief because you have a hardship as a result of COVID, people who've lost their jobs. You know, for example, all right, well, th- that's fine. It should have been tailored to people who actually had some sort of hardship through COVID, not simply, here, we're just going to give it to pretty much everybody, 855-616-1620. Jeff, I've been working all along. I took my stimulus check and bought furniture from an advertiser on your show. Well, that's good, it, and, and it's 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 good to hear, and I understand that, you know, people are, are spending money. And look, I I get it. Everybody, I don't fault people if the government is foolhardy enough to send everybody money. I, I don't fault people for taking it. I mean, I, I, I get it. You know, I understand if you go to your bank one day and you open up an account and you, you open up your account and you find, hey, they've just put twenty eight or $5,600 into my account for me and my spouse and my kids. I get it. I, I mean, that that's a great windfall, and I don't fault people for spending it, but that money has to come from somewhere. Jeff, I make $18 per hour. I've been working at a high-risk job during the pandemic. I would have made much more being laid off with state and federal unemployment that keeps getting extended. I have no guilt taking the 1400 bucks. No, I, I don't believe me. I'm not suggesting anybody should have the, the guilt in taking that if the government is silly enough to send everybody this kind of money, well, of course you're going to take it and you're going to, you know, spend it. I'm just sitting there saying, you know, the the idea that, okay, we, we build this under the concept of, of COVID relief. We're here to to help these people. And, and the ads, for example, the left is running against uh, Ron Johnson. Well, you know, we're 
we're really we were you know we were really hurt by by covid and you know we're struggling to get by well well fine and then it's ron johnson voted no on this well okay maybe the plan should have been those people who are struggling to get by let's figure out a way to help them but if you've got people that have got enough money to say hey i don't need this dough i'm going to use this as a chance to put it in the stock market and buy you know um buy this and it's kind of like you know, really, um, Jeff, I don't agree with you on all things, but I heard you say that the stimulus should be more targeted at least a dozen times. Yeah, that That's the position that I have been taking all along. And what is frustrating to me is that, that the first round of stimulus payments, I, I understand there was a rush to get them in people's hands last spring because the pandemic hit and, and there really wasn't a good way of maybe figuring out who was going to be impacted and not. But we had a year to get it right. We, we had a year to figure out how to target this, and, and candidly, they didn't. They didn't do this, um, Jeff. I thought it was to help people and stimulate the economy. That is why it's called a stimulus. No, well, it's designed to help people, and then by helping people, stimulate the economy. Otherwise, it's just the it's it's the stimmy. It's just a giveaway. If that's the case. Why do we put an income cutoff on it at all? Why not the people who have, you know, 200000 or 250000 Why aren't we giving them money as well? Because I guarantee you, you know, they'll be investing it or buying things. They will be stimulating the economy as well. If that's the idea, it, it's just a government giveaway to try to put money into the economy. Well, okay, just do this all across the board. Jeff, I put some of my first stimulus to buy Exxon at 30 and it's in the 50s now and pays a 6% dividend and I have 800 grand or so in the bank. But when I do sell the stock, I'll pay capital gains and spend the profit in local restaurants. Okay, that 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 again is a classic example. If you've got 800 grand sitting in the bank and the stimulus check goes to, you know, buy stock. Really, should you have been getting the stimulus payment? I mean, let's let's just kind of think about this as a practical matter. Is that really what COVID relief is all about? And maybe, maybe, you know, if we had targeted it more and we had done some means testing and we had figured things out, maybe we could have even given more assistance to the people whose lives really were genuinely upended and are still upended as a result of COVID instead of, sending it to some 25-year-old day trader so he can invest more in game stock. Back with more in just a minute. All right, when we come back, we're going to find out what Melissa and John and Greg have on their minds for Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around.